Would you open your Bibles to James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8? Uh, I will pray for the reading and the preaching of God's Word. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to this moment where we hear from you, we pray that you would uh, bless us truly, that you would feed us by your Word, that you would convict us of sin by your Holy Spirit, that you would use your law to break our hearts and to drive us back to Christ. We pray that you would... um, Fill us with joy at your generosity and your goodness. Um, Help us, minister to us. Help us to be able to apply this word to our lives, that we might live for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever known that you needed help and yet refused to ask for it? And maybe it was because you wanted to do it yourself. You wanted to prove that you had the strength or the wisdom or the knowledge to to get it done. Uh, Maybe you refused to ask because there was some uh, reticence in your heart to admit that you really needed help. You, uh, You thought, maybe I can accomplish this. Or maybe you thought, even if you asked for help, the person you were asking wouldn't be ready and willing to help you. I can imagine maybe you, you were a young child working on a thousand-piece puzzle, and you know it just wasn't going to happen. But you were determined you were going to make it work. Uh, I can imagine a dad sitting close by, ready and willing to help if the, if the child would just ask, help. And many of our, the circumstances of our life are much more complex than a 1,000-piece puzzle. Uh, the difficulties, the trials that we face in this life can be so overwhelming sometimes that we don't even know where to start. And I think James addresses us in this to humble ourselves and to ask the Lord for help, to ask Him for wisdom, knowing that He is not hesitant to give to those who ask, but knowing He is ready and willing to give us everything we need to live lives for His glory. Do you know that about God? That He is ready and willing to give to those who seek Him, to those who ask. Look at James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, and follow along with me as I read that. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Last week, we saw in James Chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, that God is at work in the midst of our trials. He is using the difficulties in our lives to produce endurance. He says the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then the fruit of that endurance, as we are tested in our trials, as our faith is tested and stretched uh, and strengthened, and as God gives us endurance, the end goal is, is that God is growing us in Christian maturity. He is adding virtues that give glory to Him. He's scrubbing away the sinful rough edges of our lives. This is what God is doing in our trials. 
And this is an amazing perspective. Like we shouldn't get over what we read in verses 2 through 4 last week. That in, underneath and in the midst of all the difficulties we face, all the trials we face, God is working. It is an amazing perspective to have when we look at our trials. What a joy that we're able to count it joy when we go through trials because we know God's working. But what James wants us to see in verses 5 through 8, and it is closely related, is that we can ask God for wisdom in the midst of trials and we can be sure that he will give it to us. It's possible to see these four verses as simply referring to wisdom and prayer generally. Those are prominent themes here, and I think there are definitely some applications we can gain from those areas. But the context suggests that the subject of these verses is actually more specifically having wisdom in the midst of trials. So notice how James connects verses 4 and 5 with the word lack. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything, if any of you lacks wisdom. So James' thought process goes like this. God is working to grind away the sinful edges of your life, and he's working to fill in the gaps of your immaturity. And one of the gaps you're probably facing, one thing you lack, is wisdom. Now, the way way James puts it, notice, causes his readers to ask, does this apply to me? He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and we're moved to think, well, do I? Do I lack wisdom? Is that something that I need? Is he talking about me? So often we're tempted to hear a sermon or a message and and think, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this message. They really need that. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you're guilty of that. James wants us to ask, is this me? Do I lack wisdom? Is he, is he speaking to me? But first you may be asking, well, what exactly is he talking about? What is wisdom? Wisdom is discernment which helps us make good decisions. It's discernment which leads us to make good decisions. According to New Testament uh, scholar Bill Mounts, this word refers to the capacity not only to understand, understand something, but to act accordingly to what we understand about it. Um, This aspect of decision or action is what separates wisdom from knowledge. So wisdom is a way of living which is practical rather than purely uh, speculative. Or listen to how commentator Craig Blomberg puts it. Wisdom from a biblical perspective begins with following the God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. It then proceeds with godly living. A person who does these things is truly wise, whether any of the commonly held attributes of wisdom are present or not. Conversely, the smartest, most skillful, and critically honed person who rejects the lordship of Jesus cannot be said to be wise in the fullest sense of the word. So to try and summarize for you, wisdom is being able to, to know and apply the revealed will of God to the reality of life, to the messiness of life. Wisdom is simply this, knowing what to do, (laughs) right? Knowing what to do in the difficulties we face, in the everyday circumstances and decisions we have to make. Knowing what to do so as to please God. And James tells his readers that if this is you, if you don't know how to respond in your trials, if you lack wisdom in the midst of, of your trials, then ask God. 
where we might be tempted to worry, the scripture tells us, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The proper response to lacking wisdom in trials is to pray, to ask God. And I love the, mat- the matter-of-fact way James puts it. Did you notice that? He basically just says, ask of God and it will be given to you. Done deal. Just ask him and he'll give it to you. It reminds me actually of Jesus's matter-of-fact words when he taught about persistence in prayer. You remember that parable about asking your neighbor in the middle of the night uh, because you have need and you keep going back and you keep going back and he says eventually you'll wear him out and he'll, he'll grant you your request. Persistence in prayer. And then he says this in Luke eleven nine 9 through 10. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And how is it that James is so sure that God will grant this request for wisdom? He appeals to the very character of God. James doesn't simply say, just ask God and he'll give it to you. He says, ask God who gives generously and without reproach. And it will be given to him. James wants his readers to remember who God is. This is the ground that we have in asking God. This is why we have confidence that God will answer our prayers for wisdom. Because of who he is. Now the NIV, what I read from, translates the word as generously. Which is similar to some other translations as well. But it might be more accurate to say that the idea behind this word is one of simplicity. Of sincerity. He gives to all with a single mindedness. God gives to all without a second thought, without reservation to those who come to Him in this way. And the second term is like that without finding fault or without reproach. It's another way of saying this. This is who God is. He is not double minded toward His children, He is ready and willing to give to those who ask. And he won't do it in a way that demeans the one who is asking. He won't do it in a way that shows reluctance or brings shame upon the one who is asking. And again, this goes right along with the teaching of Jesus from Luke chapter 11. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Our confidence in asking is the character of God, who He is. But in verse 6, James explains that we must ask for it in a certain way, namely, without, with faith and without any doubting. And he illustrates what this person is like. It's like, Uh, It's an image his readers would have been well aware of. The person who doubts is like a wave of the sea, not one that's building up and then crashing on on the shore, but constantly moving, constantly changing directions, the swells that are driven back and forth by the wind. Now, what James is getting at here is that this is a person who is constantly waffling on believing God. He's inconsistent. 
It's someone who is consistently doubting God's goodness, his willingness to give, his ability to deliver on his promise. And really, it's a contrast between who James describes God to be. God is single-minded in his intent to give, and then there's the double-minded man who doubts. But I think it's also important to note that this double-mindedness James points us to, describes, it's not simply uh, an attitude of faith versus doubt, because we all doubt at times, right? We all have difficulties believing, uh, just like Abraham, as we read through the stories of Genesis. He didn't always 100% trust in the promises of God. He found it difficult sometimes. He needed help. But what's going on here with this word double-minded is that this is a person who really has divided loyalties. He wants to walk the fence in loyalty to God and loyalty to the world. That person, James says, he shouldn't expect to get anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man. Consider this for yourselves. Consider this for how you pray, generally also. Consider your own loyalties. Are you single-minded in your pursuit of trusting Him? Knowing that you don't do it perfectly. Is there divided loyalties in your heart? Towards the things of this world or with God? Is there the sin of double-mindedness present? Are you constantly waffling between trusting God and doubting Him? It's important, as I said, to clarify, James isn't calling for a a flawless kind of trust because if that was the condition for receiving anything from the Lord, none of us would receive anything, right? It's the kind of thing, Lord, I believe, now help my unbelief. Help me where I'm lacking. I recognize I'm not fully trusting you, but it's a pattern of your life of trusting in God, of going in uh, the same direction. It's a persistent faith. It's like the faith of Abraham, who, of whom Paul says, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised, Romans 4, 20 and 21. So bringing it all together, what is the central teaching of this passage of Scripture? I think it's this. The Christian in trial gains wisdom by trustingly asking God for it. The Christian in trial gains wisdom by trustingly asking God for it. We can break down this into four truths concerning wisdom. Four truths concerning this wisdom of God. First is that we need wisdom. Hopefully you've already considered this question James confronts you with. Do you lack wisdom? Now the way he puts it, we might be tempted to think that there are some who don't lack wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him him ask of God. And certainly some people possess more wisdom than others. Perhaps through life experience or trials they've gone through, trials Uh, through which they've been tested and grown in wisdom. They have developed perseverance, and God has added to them wisdom. But really, would we want to say that there is a single person who has all the wisdom that he needs? 
Even the wisest among us lacks wisdom. If there were a spectrum of the wisdom of God, God would be on one end and we would be on the other, right? No matter how far along the road you are, we're all in the same boat here. We lack wisdom. And often we don't actually sense our need of wisdom until, until we are in the midst of some trial or difficulty. Or if some important decision needs to be made. The pressures of trials have the effect of squeezing out our own self-dependence and pride. And we are brought to humility. To the point of saying, help me, I need help. Now jokes are made about men not going to the doctor, right? Maybe women too, maybe you're guilty of this too. They suffer, you suffer in pain uh, in your shoulder for weeks and weeks. And you can't bring to yourself to admit that something really bad is going on there. Now, this may or may not have happened to one of my family members at Isaiah's paintball party with the shoulder. But what's going on here? Why don't people go to the doctor when they're really hurt or, or when they're really sick? There's a hesitancy first to admit there's something wrong. There's a hesitancy to admit we have a problem that we have need for a medical attention of some sort. And the first step of gaining wisdom in the midst of your trial is admitting there's a problem. Admitting that you have a lack of wisdom and that you have a need for wisdom. That you're not as wise as you think you are. That you're not as wise as you make out to be to others. Now consider your own attitude in the midst of trials. Are you generally slow to admit your need? To admit your weaknesses? Slow to confess that you lack what you need to please God? For some of you, one of your biggest temptations is pride. You have a can-do attitude, which is good in many ways. You're You're the kid doing the puzzle who says, I don't want your help. I can do it. You hate admitting you're less than what God desires, but isn't this the mind frame of the Christian? Isn't this what it means to be a Christian? That we, in and of ourselves, are weak more than weak. We are helpless. That we lack what would please God. That we need someone to rescue us from our sins. The Christian mind frame is one of humility. And this will lead us to understand that we need wisdom. Our second truth concerning wisdom is this. God has wisdom. We need wisdom and God has wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. God has wisdom. Now let me be clear what I mean by this. I don't mean that wisdom is something above and beyond God, that He has some of that wisdom, right? What I mean is that God Himself is the source of wisdom. He is the possessor of wisdom because it comes from Him. Hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs 2, 1-6. through My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, 
turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. This is a, it's a very simple truth we must receive. Wisdom comes from the Lord. Consider all the places you're tempted to go to for wisdom. <clears throat> I saw in the Roseville Buzz just last week uh, an advice column. Have you seen that one? You've, if not in the Roseville Buzz, you've seen it in another newspaper of some, some sort. There are still newspapers out there. Well, in this instance, someone was asking what to do because their friend asked her to keep the kids for a week while they went on vacation. She didn't know what to do. Now, why, why would you write to the newspaper? I don't know. Maybe they've seen trusted advice there before. I don't know. But what's the first thing you turn to when you need wisdom, when you need help making a decision, or when you need understanding to go through a certain trial? Where do you go? Maybe you go to self-help books. That's your first go-to. Probably you go to Google and you try to figure out what am I supposed to do in this situation. Let me hear from others who have gone through that situation. I'll just do a quick search and it will come up with all kinds of ideas. Where, do, where we turn to for wisdom in the midst of trial reveals something about who we trust. Do we trust the masses, those who've been what we're going through? Now, certainly wisdom can be gained there. But do we trust uh, the experts on the particular issue that we're dealing with? What I'm asking here is, who do you trust? Who do you trust? The one you trust is the one you go to when you need help, when you need wisdom. The first step is recognizing the need the second step is recognizing where to go for help. And when it comes to wisdom, we need it and God has it. He is the source of wisdom. And here's where it really gets good. God is willing to give wisdom to those who ask. That's our third truth about wisdom. We need it. God has it. And God is willing to give it. <clears throat> Remember, James isn't content to say, let him ask of God and it will be given to him. But he says, let him ask of God who gives generously to all and without reproach and it will be given to him. He takes a moment to describe the character of God. And the, one, the way he describes God is one who is willing and eager to give of those who ask him. He's single-minded in his intent to give to his children what they need to please him. See, it doesn't really matter if we lack wisdom and God has it if he's not willing to give it to us. We would be in an impasse. We'd be like a poor beggar in desperate need at the mercy of a rich man who won't give us a dime. The rich man's wealth doesn't matter at all to the poor man unless he's willing to give him something. But what we find in Scripture is that God is willing. Consistently, we see that God is willing and eager to answer the prayers of His peoples. He is eager not only to hear the prayers of His people, but also to answer the prayers of His people. 
And this is the case with wisdom. God is willing and eager to give wisdom to his people. And as I think about it, how different God is from me in this. How much more ready is he to give than I am? Reading the scripture earlier about if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more does God know how to give good gifts to his children? But it's not just about the goodness of the gifts. It's about the goodness of the giver. Because I can be a jerk sometimes. Even with my precious children whom I love. Can't you? My kids are in need of something that I am able to give them. And sometimes I will give them what they need, but it will be with a huff and a puff. Showing contempt or reproach. Or looking down upon them. I'll make sure they know what an inconvenience it is for me to give them what they need. I'll let them know they should have been able to handle this themselves. But what James is teaching about God is that he isn't like that. He is ready and willing and eager to give wisdom to his children. And it's not just something that he does. It's a part of his character. He gives to all generously and without reproach. And if you think about this, isn't it exactly how he treats sinners in saving them? Isn't it exactly, brothers and sisters, how he treats us in saving us from our sins? If I was God, I might would say, here's Jesus dying on the cross for your sins. Now, what you really need to do is now you need to give it your all. You need to earn this. You need to show me that you recognize the sacrifice I have made for you. Deserve this. Deserve what I have done for you. I would want to put some conditions on this whole forgiveness thing. I'll do this for you, but you really need to start doing this for me. And then I'll accept you. But what does God do? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly, not for the righteous. Christ died for his enemies. So that we who were destined for destruction would be saved. And consider this. If he was so willing and eager to give up his own son for us, will he be so unwilling as to give us all things in Christ? Would he withhold something? Would he be stingy with wisdom or anything we else, anything else we need for a life of godliness? If he gave us already his most prized possession of his son? He is eager to give you wisdom in the midst of your trial. And once we know that, we will be moved to ask him in faith for wisdom. The fourth truth about wisdom. We need wisdom. God has wisdom. God is willing to give wisdom. And God gives wisdom to those who ask in faith. James goes to great lengths to show that we don't get wisdom automatically. There is an action required on our part. If we are to have wisdom in the midst of our trials, we must ask for it. Something I've tried to teach my children over and over. Don't just say, I want something. Ask for it. May I have this? May you get this for me? Please, Lord, would you give this to me? We must ask. We must acknowledge our need. We seek God who is the source of wisdom. 
We understand his character of generosity and willingness to give. And we are moved to prayer. God, give me wisdom. Help me in this. But James also goes to great lengths that this prayer for wisdom must be one of faith and not one of doubting. God gives wisdom to those who ask in faith. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That That should really hit home to us in our prayers. How are we asking God? Not just for wisdom. With what sort of attitude do we go to God in prayer? Is it one of confident expectation? Not because we know we are worth it, because we deserve it, but because we know the character of God. We know His love for His children. Consider, how do you go to God in prayer regularly? What is the consistent pattern of your heart before the Lord in prayer? Now certainly, asking in itself seems to be an act of faith. It is a first step in an act of faith. But there is a sense in which you can ask for something and at the same time doubt that you will receive what you ask for. But James says it's a double-minded person who does this. A a double-souled person. A divided person. It's a person with mixed allegiances. And I think that ultimately gets to the crux of the matter. You see, this isn't simply uh, a recipe for getting wisdom that somebody, you know, an unbeliever, Okay, here's what I need to do to get wisdom. I simply ask for it, believing that I'll get it. There's something much uh, deeper going on here. It's not some sort of a a step-by-step approach for getting wisdom. What this points to is a single-minded pursuit in trusting God for wisdom. A few times in Scripture, one being Proverbs 1-7, we read that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That means that a reverent trust in the sovereign God is the first step in wisdom. Like the Blomberg quote I I read earlier, if Christ is not your Lord, then it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have or expertise you have. If Christ is not your Lord, you do not have wisdom. You're not wise according to what real wisdom is. So let me put it this way. Before you can even begin to have wisdom in the midst of your trials, you have to have a fear of God. A reverent trust of the Almighty. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This means you submit yourself to Him as God and King. That you're no longer the Lord of your own life. But that you're laying down your life in trust and service to God. And what that will require is admitting that you are not wise. That you are not powerful. That you in and of yourself are not acceptable to God. It will mean that you exchange the wisdom of this world for the wisdom of God. Listen carefully to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 and following. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? 
Where's the teacher of the law? Where's the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So here's what I want to say in closing. You are being called to embrace a sort of foolishness in the eyes of the world when it comes to the wisdom of God. You are called to embrace a sort of foolishness in the eyes of the world. Believe that God came down in human flesh. Believe that Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to God and died on the cross for sinners. Believe that His death wasn't just an example, but actually accomplished something. The forgiveness of sins for all who trust in Him. Is this not considered foolishness in the eyes of the world? Believe that He is sovereignly working in the midst of your trials. Believe that everything that happens to you is not mere chance, but is directed by a sovereign God who rules over the universe. Believe that He is working in those trials to grow you in Christian maturity and believe that He is ready and willing to hear and answer your prayers for wisdom and anything else that you have need of that you lack. He is ready and willing. This is the wisdom of God. This is what it means to have wisdom. To not have it in yourself, to not have an earthly standard of wisdom. But to trust, not in ourselves, but in God who is working for His own glory and for our good. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I pray that you would take your law, the wor- your word, and use it to crush our own self-reliance, our own self-confidence. Not so that we would remain crushed, but so that we would be healed by the gospel of grace. By the gospel which tells us that everything you have required Of us, you have given us in Christ Jesus. Heal us by the words that he who knew no sin, Christ Jesus became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Work by your word to show us areas of weakness, areas of lack, that we might first recognize and then seek you. Come to you in prayer. Maybe some who are here today have had a prayer life, but it's been one of doubting, not expecting you to answer, not expecting you to to hear and to give what is needed. I pray that you would cause us to repent and to come once again to your throne with faith that you will work. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.